Amen. That's exciting. And good morning, Calvary. Good morning to our podcast listeners as well. We are so glad you're here. There's a lot going on, a lot that's been going on. We'd like to welcome our guests today. Um, and we're always glad to have guests in the house. And thank you for being here. There is some, a couple things I want to tell you. Uh, one is very exciting for some of you. And some of you are like, it's not going to change your, uh, your mind at all. But in a few weeks, we have a party at the park. We need you to sign up for some stuff out there. It's a, a chance for us to love our community. We try to love our community. We have about three or 4,000 people maybe come out. If the weather's good, maybe 2,000 if the weather's bad. Kind of thing, come out. And you can help serve and show our community that we love them. The week after party at the park, not next week. Everybody repeat that with me. Not next week, Okay. Yeah, that's very good. The week after Party at the Park, we are going to be changing our service times. Yay! Everybody loves change! <laughs> and our hope is, if you look around, this room is, is, is pretty full. And what, we're gonna, what you're going to see is, we've been averaging about 130 people in the summer, more than we averaged last summer. So week for week. So in the fall, when people are no longer on vacation, we're not going to fit in this room in this hour. Does that make sense? So we're going to make the, this hour of time a little more appealing for some of you to come to our new service time, which starts at 9 instead of 8.30. Say, sign me up for the 9. That's, you're my friend right there. So we need some of you to come at 9, 10.20, and 11.40. And if you're going to keep coming at 10, here's the good news. Some of you can just keep coming like you've been coming because you don't get here until 10.20 anyways. <laughs> so we're going to make it to where you could be here on time. All right? But we do, we'd love for some of you to come at 9 because visitors come at 10 and it's just kind of the peak time. So if you're willing to come at the at 9 o'clock hour, we'd really appreciate that as we do it. It's also real exciting to see the baptisms and we see our church growing. Our church has continued to grow every single year. Um, and we want to grow through baptisms. We have um, those three baptisms today. We also had these six baptized yesterday at a creek or a creek, depending on how you want to say it. Um, and that was really exciting. It was a small group. The, the four um, adults were baptized. They're all part of the same small group. And the two little girls um, were a part of the small group of parents. And then next service, we have another four people being baptized. And so God is really moving and continuing to move as people are being a faithful in the obedience of baptism. Some are new conversions. Some are, I'm just taking that step finally to being baptized. And we want to celebrate that as we move forward. But as we continue to grow... I want to challenge us as a church to be ready to encounter what we're all trying to do, which is find Jesus. So this series, we've been talking about how we're on a journey. It's entitled, You Are Here. And the fact is, you are where you are. And we've been headed out on this journey trying to find Jesus. He is the destination. So we started with that by saying, in finding him, we need to open God's word. And then after that, we said that finding God's word is what's going to get us on the trail, on the path to find him. And as we start um, going down this trail, we're occasionally going to get off. And so we need to practice confession. And we talked about how if you don't have joy in your faith, it's probably because you haven't practiced confession. And then last week, we talked about this idea of sometimes along the journey, you got to stop and eat. So we talked about prayer and meditation. Drew did a good job with that. And this week, we're going to talk about the, everybody's favorite word, evangelism. And we have this little icon of it's shouting out our faith. And sometimes people get really like nervous when we talk about evangelism, but evangelism literally means good news, sharing the good news. And around here, our saying is followers who make followers of Jesus. And if you're a follower, one of our other sayings is followers share what they If you share what you know, all we're asking you to share is what you've learned. And so as you do this, we're going to find that Jesus commanded us to do it, 
And so it's an important part of the journey. Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20, we see Jesus' final words. It's kind of a big deal if it's Jesus' final words, right? Here's what he says. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. I just want to walk us through this. I'm going to go kind of word by word for a moment and talk about what it looks like for us as followers of Jesus to evangelize, to share our faith. It starts with this simple word, go. Go there is a command. The Bible is full of commands, and sometimes we don't like it when people give us commands because we want to do what we want to do, right? I want to do what I want to do. But what we've discussed is if we follow Jesus, if he is our destination, that when God gives us a command, the command is to keep us on the path and help other people find the path. It's not meant, to use a modern word, to bully you into submission. It's not meant to make your life miserable. When God says do something, it's for your benefit. It's for society's benefit. It's for all of our benefit. He doesn't want to rob you of fun and tell you you can have a good time. He's saying, no, this is what's best for you. Go. It is a command. But go is not only a command, but it's a starting point. We often don't think of it as a starting point, but you realize the key to our first step in arriving is leaving. You got to go. And so when you're sharing your faith, the way this works is sometimes we go, what good am I going to do? I'm going to share my faith and they're going to reject it, right? In seminary, they used to say this, the average person has to hear the gospel or the good news of Jesus seven times in order to receive it. Seven times. So let's say I go out and I talk to someone on the street and I say, hey, I want you to know Jesus. And they go, no. But I'm the first person to share with them. I'm starting. I'm going. I'm sharing the power of what Jesus is doing in their life. And I can walk away dejected or I can go <laughs> six more times and they're going to come around. Let's say I go around and I start sharing my faith with someone and I go, hey, I need you to know Jesus. 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 And I've shared it six times. And then someone else swoops in and they take the seventh one. <laughs> Let's say it works that way, right? Am I going to go, man, I can't believe so-and-so stole my getting to see them follow. No, that's not the point. I'm going to rejoice. And so what I would encourage you is don't get dejected when the average person says no at first. Realize that you're a part of the process and share. Go is a command and it's a starting point. But the next word there is therefore, and I love this. Anytime you see the word therefore in the Bible, I had a professor who said this, see what it is? Therefore. Ah, oh, see what I did there? Okay, so we're going to look back at Matthew 28, verse 18. And here's what it says. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me, and on heaven and on earth. That's pretty exciting. You got to look very excited. You should be kind of excited. That's kind of cool. Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So think, I've been to the Hoover Dam. Anybody been to the Hoover Dam? Think of a real powerful thing like that where you look out and you see the vast power of that. Doesn't hold a penny to what God can do. Think of the power of a, the, the world's biggest uh, booster launching a, uh, a space shuttle into space. Not that powerful. Our God encapsulates all power on heaven and on earth. Translate that, okay? Here's how that translates to you and me. Jesus, 
says, I have all access to all the power. So the same power, right, that raised himself from the dead, Jesus has. The same power that created the universe, Jesus has. And so that is a significant reminder of what the God we are serving is all about. He is about helping us to make followers who make followers of Jesus, and we have access to that same power. And so the next slide says, make disciples. Go therefore and make disciples. Who, us? Here's what we like to say sometimes. We like to say this, okay? I'm the vessel that God uses to make disciples. I'm the one that God's going to use to help connect other people to Christ. I'm just the vessel. Well, that's true, but not true. Totally true, but not true. Do you realize this verse says, go make disciples? It doesn't say, go be a vessel. It says, go make disciples. Think about that. What does that look like? Well, think back to the previous verse where it talks about the power of what Jesus did. God asks us to follow him. He invites us to follow him. So the same God who is with the people in the Old Testament, who is with Moses, the same God who is with Peter, the same God who is with Esther as she stood up and freed her people, the same God who raised Jesus from the dead is with us. And we have access to that power. God wants to invite us to invite other people on the trail that leads to him. So then we begin to think about that. And we sit there and you think, okay, if I have access to that power, then maybe the reason I am not sharing that power is because I don't understand what it really looks like to be a disciple. Go, therefore, and make disciples. A few weeks ago, our church was finishing up VBS, Vacation Bible School. And as we were doing, we were moving things around, setting things back up, and we had to go into the storage space. And in storage space, I found something very exciting. Very, very exciting. I walked into the storage space and found, wait for it, a felt board. Some of you don't understand the power of a felt board, but my childhood was relived. A felt board, for those of you who don't know, it's because y'all may be too young to know. Some of you, you may be too young. A felt board existed before PowerPoint, before projectors, before any kind of cool illustrations felt boards were, Okay. And felt boards were these ways that the Sunday school teachers used to teach children. They were these big boards that had, wait for it, felt on them. And they would pull out these little characters and they would stick. And then you could peel off the characters and move them. And it was really cool. So you could see the story. Uh, I remember the Good Samaritan. The Samaritan was laying down and now he's standing up. But he still looked wounded because he was a felt. Anyways, it was a really exciting thing. And I got real excited when I found this felt board because I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. And actually, it's not mine. I think it belongs to somebody in our church. But I found it. So I'm keeping it for a little while. And I'm going to get back to it later. But I found it. I'm going to use it in a sermon down the road. Get excited about it. Get excited about the felt board week. It may even happen next week. You never know. Um, but I was so excited about finding this felt board that before I left the building, I probably told 20 people, look at this felt board thing. This is the coolest thing ever. And then I began to ask myself this question. If I can get that excited about telling people about a felt board, why can't I get that excited about telling people about God? And I don't think it, I don't think we get what it means to share our faith. Because we don't really understand ourselves what it means to be a disciple. You see, a disciple means a learner. And I think the best words I know to describe it are found in Acts 17, verses 22 and following. 
When Paul stood up in the middle of the Aragopagus, he's speaking to a group of people in Athens. And I love it because it's a very academic kind of town. People were kind of cynical, a lot like, well, West Lafayette. They were standing up and facing a room full of engineers (laughs) who were lovely people. (laughs) He says, people of Athens, of Caterpillar, of Subaru, of Purdue. I see that you are extremely religious in every aspect. For as I'm passing through and observing the objects of your worship, the objects of your attention, the objects that get you excited, the objects that you find your resources, your energy, your resources going to, the objects that you find your heart's affection and your mind's attention going to, I've even found an altar in which was inscribed to an unknown God. You're worshiping these. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance... This I proclaim to you, that the God who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in shrines made by hands, neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. From one man he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. And he did this so that they might seek God and perhaps might reach out to find him. In other words, the point is the journey to find him. Though he is not far from each one of us, no matter how far you think you wandered from the path, he's not far. For in him we live and move and have our being. He goes on and talks about what it means to follow Christ a little more, but I want to stop right there because that last phrase gets me. For in him we live and move and have our being. Do you know why we don't really share our faith sometimes? It's because we have a misguided representation of what the journey looks like. We think it starts at baptism and then we just sit still until the end. When we'll be suddenly with Jesus. We'll go, whoo, party in Jesus' house. Or sometimes we'll focus and we go, I see the point. I see the destination. I see where I'm supposed to go. And that life looks good. So I'm just supposed to go through the misery of trudging through the wilderness until I get there. I don't like hiking. Is I allowed to admit that out loud? I don't. Never have. There's ticks. There's no restaurants. (laughs) Bathrooms are a far cry. And sometimes we look at our faith like Daniel looks at hiking. Like, I'll go on the trip if I have to because everybody else wants me to. But I really just want to get to the end. And I think in, in doing so, we shortchange of what it really means to be on the journey of faith. In him we live and move and have life. And so the way that translates is because, if you I don't know about you, but if you've ever been on a trail, there's ups and downs and valleys, and you can occasionally get lost, and there's bumps and bruises, and yes, there's ticks. <laughs> but along the path, in the struggles and in the good times, we should have contentment. We should have joy. And so when the, when the world starts attacking us, or when we feel like life isn't going fair, or when we have cancer or loss of job, we can have inexplicable joy because our God is that good in the midst of those circumstances. And everyone else is sitting there going, how can you have joy? You're on this miserable trail, this miserable piece of earth. And you're going, yes, 
But I have the ultimate compass, and his name is Jesus, and he lives with me. And in him I live, and I move, and I have life. And I don't think we understand that, because if we understand that, that's when we get excited. And when we get excited, we start sharing. Because what's in the heart comes out of the mouth. And if you're more excited about a felt board or a football game, a hobby, or that cute girl, that handsome man, that's what's going to come out. And so this morning, instead of laying on a bunch of guilt saying we all should be witnessing more, I don't want to challenge you to bullhorn it out as much as I want you to check your heart. And ask you, when was the last time you were really excited about learning about God? Because that's when faith will be shared. You see, a disciple is not just dunking them. You know what dunking them is, right? It's the baptism. But it's making little versions of Christ, bringing them along the trail. Inviting them into the life with you. It's not just dunking them, but although we immerse because we believe baptism is immersion. We'll get back to that later. But it's really saying, I was dead, but now I'm alive. I was a caterpillar, and now I am a butterfly. I am not the same person. I have gone through the metamorphosis. I am now changed, and I am no longer crawling along this earth, eating up the dust, but now I'm flying. I'm a new creation. We rejoice and we celebrate that. We understand what that looks like and we relish in it because a disciple is a learner. So why don't we learn? Because we don't really understand what it looks like. Have you ever heard, I heard a pastor say this not too long ago. One of the things that really, pastors really love it when you come and say, the sarcasm, in case you're listening on the podcast, that was sarcasm because I'm shaking my head no, is when someone comes up to me and they go, pastor, I really appreciate the sermon, but I really want you to go deeper. And I want to go, I get it. But let me explain to you why people say that. Because you know what discipleship really means as a learner? It means intimacy. Discipleship is intimacy. And if you've been around here a while, you've heard me say there are four levels of intimacy. Physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual intimacy. And every single person is wired to have spiritual intimacy. But the other three levels of intimacy, you are naturally inclined to lean into one of those levels of intimacy. Physical emotional or intellectual intimacy and the other two will come as a result of the one you lean into so let me explain to you like this okay i lean into intellectual intimacy i'm i'm not saying i'm that smart i'm saying what i lean into the intellectual intimacy so before i dated and married my wife it had to go like this is it logical for me to date her is it logical for me to let my heart go in she, she lives so far away. Does she love Jesus? And I had this checklist, and I would ask all these questions, and I would sit there and I'd go, oh, yes, she, she makes all, checks off all the boxes, so now I'm going to let my heart go, and I'm going to let my mind and everything else go along with it, right? Some of you are the exact opposite. You just love love. John in the Bible is the person who writes the book of John. He loves love. And John would have been the one that, like, I love her, I love her, I love her. I don't know her name. <laughs> I love her, I love her, I love her. But she, you know, insert whatever cute little phrase there you want to make. He's like, I, I just love love. Does it make sense? I have no idea. I love her. I'm going to find that out later. And there are some people who are like that. And there's some people who are like, if they love me, 
He held the door open for me. I'm marrying him. (laughs) I mean, this guy brought me flowers, and he's a keeper. And guys can do that too, looking at the girls. And so what we long for is that level of intimacy that helps us connect. But let me give you a caution. If you're leaning into one of those things, you can have the misrepresentation that your life is geared towards that one level of intimacy and not bring the other two along, which will leave you longing for something more. If you don't ever, if you're lean with the intellectual and you don't ever bring the emotional and the physical and the spiritual part, you're going to be longing for something more. And God's gifted you to lean into one of those things, but he wants you to bring the others along. So this is how it works in the church. Someone comes to me and they says, Daniel, I want us to go deeper in the sermons. Here's what I would say. Always. You know how often I say always? Hardly ever. Always that person is, leads, leads with intellectual intimacy. The person who wants to go deeper wants intellectual intimacy. What they're really saying is there's a hole in my heart that needs to find some more intimacy with God and I need you to give it to me. The person who comes to the church and says, our church isn't serving enough. What you're really saying is, there's a hole in my heart that's longing to see the power of Christ move through God's people, and I'm not seeing it enough. The person who loves love, that's why we have greeters. Why do we have greeters? They waved and they smiled. Well, you're clearly not an emotional being because they love it. (laughs) Hi! I don't even know you, but hug me. Yeah, you lead with emotion and love. And so all of these encapsulate what the church looks like. But here's, once again, the danger. The people who come to me and say, Daniel, we need to go deeper in our sermons. What I would say is there's a hunger in your life that cannot be filled in one hour a week. And when we struggle to be filled with the intimacy of God, when we expect other people to do it, what we're doing is we're saying, I long for a deeper level of intimacy. And I would say, he's right there. Go learn about him. I, I can't fill him up for you enough. I can't feed you enough. And one hour a week to sustain you for the week, that's not my job. My job is to go, you're heading out. You got your stuff packed? Taking some extra food? Because there aren't a lot of restaurants on the trail. There's ticks. Stupid ticks. (laughs) But you need to be packing your sunscreen. You need to be packing extra meals. You need to prepare for the journey that lies ahead. And then all of a sudden, when you're on the journey, when you come prepared, you begin to notice the nature, the beauty, the grandeur of God's creation. You begin to see joy things. You, You begin to have a different perspective of life. Instead of just trying to survive, you experience life, and you were made to do so much more than exist. You were made to move and breathe and live with the power of God living in you. And I don't think if I preached a sermon about guilting every single person into going and inviting someone to church next week, it would work. You know why? Because... It's just guilt. And honestly, they're not going to want to come because you're going to go like this. Hey, come to my church. I'm supposed to because the pastor told me to. As opposed to, Jesus is doing something in my life. So here, 
with fear and trepidation, I want to say this. If you aren't sharing Christ, it's likely a sign that you may not be on the trail that you thought you were on. As a learner. If you really aren't sharing, inviting people, aren't sharing what the excitement, it, it probably means that you aren't growing like you think you're growing. And it's a good ch- gut check kind of idea to go, how am I doing this? And the beautiful thing is God calls the broken and the bruised. And you, you don't have to know everything because all we're asking is followers share what they And you know some. I love that Jesus didn't go to the the seminary and say, okay, I'm going to pick the best rabbis. No, he went to Peter. Peter, cousin sailor, Peter. I'm going to jump out of the boat. Don't know where I'm going, Peter. I'm going to chop off this soldier's ear because I love Jesus. I don't even, I don't think, I just do. Peter's intimacy level was clearly not intellectual. (laughs) It was physical. It was go do. It, It really was. You can look at the Bible and you can match these up. Peter was reckless. He said things he should never have said. And he was used. And Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my kingdom. Peter, you're the rock. So don't let anybody tell you that you're not good enough to share. Because the beauty of sharing out of your brokenness is what God desires. Who are we sharing with? Well, the next line, go there for it. And baptize, make disciples of all nations. Who does that mean? Let me break it down for you. All nations. If you don't understand that, it's all people. If you're only sharing with people who look like you, walk like you, and talk like you, well, you're missing out. Because the excitement we have is really exciting. No, so tomorrow, let me, let me explain it to you like this too. Tomorrow, I'm, I'm taking a bunch of youth to Kings Island, along with some other people in the church. I think 36 of us are going. Let's say at the end of the day, we get everybody together, and we count off, and we go, 35. It's not bad. Missing one. <laughs> I mean, really, it, it's undoubtedly a middle school guy. I don't mean that disrespectful if you're a middle school guy, but that's who's missing. I can tell you without even looking. <laughs> what are the odds that the parents are going to miss them? Yeah, let's just go back. 35 out of 36 is pretty good. <laughs> no, if we, if we realize somebody's missing, you know what we do? We don't just have the 35 of us looking for that person. Actually, there's not. We tell all the, the students to stay put and the adults go out. We get the park involved. If that doesn't work, we get the police involved. If that doesn't work, we get the news involved. And we keep championing looking for the missing one. Why would we do that at Kings Island and not do that in everyday life? People all around us are on the wrong trail and they don't even realize it. They're, they're miserable looking for their own ideas, their own beliefs, their own understandings, trying to find peace in the world. They're worshiping something, as Paul said in Athens. They're going their direction. They're trying to, and what we don't, they don't see is it's Jesus. Rally the troops. Let's go tell them. Baptizing them. Immersion. The first step of obedience, it's command. You are to be baptized. I don't want to be baptized. Well, then you're not following the command of God. Being baptized is a testimony of a faith. Now let me give you a good little spoiler alert as you saw with Katie. Nowhere in the Bible does it say the pastor has to do the baptism. In fact, I would love for us to see even more as you share your faith and you help be the person who's there when they receive Christ, you get in the water and baptize them. Now we try to do girls with girls and guys with guys, ladies with ladies, whatever. Right? 
I would love to see dads baptizing their kids. I would love that. Moms baptizing kids. I love that. I would love to see that because it's part of the intimacy of connecting the power of who Jesus is doing. Now, if you don't want to do that and you're scared, but here's the good thing. If you're a dad, you can hold the kids under for a really long time. (laughs) I want to make sure this takes. Actually, we don't really encourage that at all. (laughs) But I have baptized a ton of people, and nothing is better than the moment I got to baptize my two boys. Nothing. We baptize them because it shows that there were a caterpillar, and now they're a butterfly, a new creation, teaching them to obey everything along the trail. Why? Because the trail is where we live and move and breathe. The destination isn't far off. The destination is here and now, but there's more to the destination in the roads and the steps ahead. So here's what this looks like. Here's the journey. This week, I want you to, instead of guilting you into going out and everybody pack the pew next week and the winner gets the big Chick-fil-A gift card, right? Those of you who don't get that, that was what they used to do. So we're like, we should be doing that, Chick-fil-A. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask yourself these four questions, our Monday morning application. We do that every week, asking you to apply something for the rest of the week. And I want you to ask these questions. What was the last time I was excited enough about what God is doing in my life to share it? When was the last time I was excited enough about what God was doing or is doing in my life to share it? Think about it. If it was 10 years ago, that's a problem. I found the felt board four weeks ago, and it already feels like ancient history. What have I learned about God lately? A disciple means learner, and if you aren't continually learning, well, then you're probably not sharing because you're not really that excited about what God is teaching you. What am I doing to pursue my relationship with him? I want to say this again very clearly. If you're only fed once a week, you're going to starve. You can blame me all you want. It's not my fault. If you're only fed once a week, you're going to starve. You got to open your Bible. You got to learn. You got to listen to podcasts. You got to pursue God. You got to pray. Let me put you another way. If I only talk to my wife one hour a week, would I have an intimate relationship? No. I wouldn't even have a relationship. What steps do I need to commit to him before I leave here today? And that's really the key. Because notice, in all those four steps, this is a sermon on evangelism, and none of them say, go, go invite your neighbor with a blueberry pie, although that works. Really, what I, I want you to see is what's in the heart comes out of the mouth. And if you're not excited about God, I want you to get excited about God and then let it outpour naturally. It just will. So I'm going to give you 30 seconds, and then I'm going to close the sermon with about another minute and a half after that. But I'm going to give you 30 seconds, and I really want you to think about four, the step, the, the fourth line, okay? And I want you to ask, what steps do I need to commit before I leave here today? Because if you don't commit before you leave, you're not going to do anything. And for some of you, it may mean, I need to accept Jesus. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus Lord, and you believe that he died on the cross, was buried in the ground, and raised from the dead, then you can be saved. What does it mean to be saved? It means you're on the trail to following Jesus for the rest of your life, because you realize in him you live and move and breathe. And if you don't know what that means, we'd love you to fill out a connect card, and we'll follow up with you. Anybody in the room, you can even go by the next step space. We have people there who are trained, and we'll walk you through it, okay? If you're a follower of Jesus, what steps do you need to do to to get excited about Jesus and share him again? So take just a few moments and think about that, and then I'm going to close the sermon. Go.
So here's the reality. Some in this room are excited. And I'm excited that you're excited. And some of you are confused and lost. And life feels too heavy for you right now to even begin to know what to do. And what I want to say is you are where you are. Admit it. But the God of this universe closes his testimony with the following these words. Remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. You're not on the trail alone. The eternal compass of the power of the Holy Spirit is alive in you if you have a relationship with him. And he wants to guide you and he guards you. So I want to say if you're hurting, I'm so sorry. We weep with you. If you're celebrating, we're celebrating with you. We're going to talk even more about that next week. But I believe the God of this universe didn't make you by a mistake. And he wants to draw you closer to him today. So if you've got nothing else to offer, when I pray in just a moment, would you pray these words? God, I need you to show up in my life. Here I am. That's it. And I believe the God of this universe will, in subtle ways, if you're looking for him, show up. Can we do that? God, I need you to show up in my life. Here I am. Father, would you bless us now as we seek after you? God, we are so mindful of how you're moving, but yet we know there's so much more to do. So, Father, in the stillness of this moment, we ask for your power to invade our souls. Get us excited about you again. And help us to maintain that excitement and enthusiasm throughout our week. So, God, right now, we ask for the broken that you would heal. For those who are rejoicing that you'd help it to flow out. But God, we ask for peace and joy, your presence to be felt. We ask that your name would be declared to the nations. And that as we go on this trail of life seeking you, you'd help us to bring as many people along as possible. So God, here we are. We ask that you show up. Show us who you are. Here we are, even now.